episode 107, just because, the Human Experience Podcast. Hi, Michael Lobo. This is awesome, because I was able to talk to, um, I know him as my Dean Six. Uh, his government name is Marcel, his social security, and I, I really wanted him on. This man means a lot to me in my life. He was me and my Sans's Dean, which... For those non-Greeks, it's just someone who who helps teach you the way of of the fraternity and guides you throughout the process. Fortunately for me, we we kept staying in touch, even after all this time, 10 years. He's officiated our our wedding, Serena and I. And I just, I really love the chance to be able to talk to him, share his story. He'll definitely be back for part two, probably even a part three. He's just lived... A super interesting life and I think even finding even listening to it I, I found myself relating to more stuff so it's it's crazy no matter how much time can go by you still can learn something about people I love this man enjoy Thanks for doing this. Thank you for having me. I'm not quite sure what you're going to ask, but sure, let's do it. It's all about break dancing. Ba- I was, it was going to be basketball, but I know you don't play basketball. so I break a lot of stuff when I dance. Oh, ooh, so. yeah. we have we have videos. We're going to pull up videos in a second. I did want to have you on because we've, we've known each other for 10 years. It's been of, 10 years? Yeah, that's what Friday was. I know it was, but the number of 10 just really seems long. That's true. Yeah, when you so I met you it. when I was seven. Right, age of seventeen. Yeah. Um, you missed your prom. No graduation because of the. It's been rough. Coronavirus. I'm so sorry. It's a special time. <laughs> Damn it. And uh, well, you you've affected me and how I am. You and um, uh, Conan O'Brien, the two. No. Um, <laughs> you you've had a, a huge impact on me. So I'm I'm I really wanted you on and and pick your brain about stuff. And so, well, thank you. Believe it or not, it goes both ways. So I, I tell you, I try to tell you often, you have a really good knack for reaching out to me when I'm in need of just something to make me not yeah. think about everything else and whatever else. And I always appreciate that. Um, I think it's all the times you fed us. I think it somehow <laughs> it, it linked us. Where were you born and raised? I was born in Los Angeles, raised all over South Central and Inglewatts, because I don't call it Inglewood. South Central, Inglewatts, uh, pretty much Koreatown, <laughs> <laughs> all over the LA area, but primarily South Central, East LA as well. Yeah. Did you move a lot or were you just all over the place? No. From the time I was in the fourth grade until I was a senior, I moved 12 times. Oui. How, Just why? that little period. Uh, rough childhood. Okay. Basically, yeah. it's what it is. Rough childhood. And then um, how was that relationship with your parents over time? Because my dad was, was very abusive to me and my mom. And so I've been fucking pissed ever since. But I, I noticed there's been a tiny change where now I just, I, I think I just feel sorry for him. It's more of an understanding of you didn't know how to control your anger and you did this to us. Uh, I don't forgive you, but 
I, a little more understanding. How has that been as you've grown up to, to 17 years old? Well, for me, I grew up in a very, very violent household. And it has affected me tremendously because uh, I just made this comment last night to my best friend. I'm only 5'9", but I'm also 315 pounds. And I've been pretty stocky and muscular since basically my senior year of high school. So when people refer to me as, hey, big guy all the time, I'm like, it kind of feels weird to me because up to that point, I was real skinny. It's 145 pounds my senior year, and I put on some weight. But in any case, um, it's affected me because my parents were very physical, did a lot of fighting and whatnot, and uh, very abusive towards me. And what it's made me do is not be the same way. I, I definitely worry about that too in that um... – you always you always hear how the the abused person then repeats the mistakes uh when whenever they become a parent so i'm I'm always cognizant with with my son about um not losing my cool or trying to take a step back um before oh, no, uh, I, I beat the yeah. crap out of my kid oh, <laughs> I mean, come on man well now there's evidence now there's yeah, uh, yeah I only so. abuse my son emotionally, not physically so i I, I do all. I do as much emotional abuse as I can, and um, I don't use uh, belts or anything. I just punch the crap out of her every chance I get. (laughs) Perfect. Yes. Perfect. And so what did that do with friendships and and, um, relationships with other people growing up? Did you see that affecting you there? Yes. um, My family, my biological family is pretty tight-knit. And so no matter where I moved, we were always with around near family members. And let's see, when it came to friends, my mom did a really good job. Let's see. I attended between preschool and second grade. I believe I attended five schools. Oh, gosh. (laughs) And then when I got to second grade, she said she wasn't going to have me change schools any longer. So no matter where we moved to, I was still at the same school. So that helped. And so I only went to, at that point, one more junior, sorry, one junior high and one high school. Mm -hmm. And that just worked out great for me. So I was able to stick with the same group of friends. And it wasn't even by choice. It's just a a group of us in the seventh grade. Everyone takes the same classes. That's how it was in LAUSD. I take the same classes. And then your second semester, like the first day of school, they give everyone a test. And then the second day of school and 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 uh, the seventh grade, sorry, the second semester, all of a sudden, some of us were moved to a different homeroom. And we were all grouped together basically from that point through high school. We were considered the, the smart kids, which didn't really make much sense to me at the time but and those guys were the guys that I bonded with obviously because when you have all your classes with the same people and you have assignments with them and whatever else and just people you kind of bond with mm-hmm. but I was also a social butterfly so you don't say with that very you know stressful house and jumping around a lot what was something you did to to sort of relieve stress turn stuff <laughs> off I believe it or not uh, I do a lot of thinking yeah. A lot of thinking. I always have. So when I was a little kid, I was very aware of my surroundings, more so than most people. 
and that close-knit family of mine, <laughs> let's just say, was on the opposite side of the law, still mm. is. How's that sound? Yeah. So I grew up <laughs> learning all kinds of interesting things as a kid, um, but I never... I always saw that they were something that I want to be in, evolve with or whatever else, and so I didn't get into it. So in any case, it made me think a lot as a kid because, um, yeah, yeah. I, I, to be honest, let's see, for my 11th birthday, one of the gifts that my cousin gave to me was he took me to a hotel room with two duffel bags and taught me how to make crack. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. <laughs> That was, my, that was his gift to me. You know? So, but me, on the other hand, I just had no interest in any of that stuff. I just wanted to get out of South Central. Um, I was always a different kid. I used to be told by my own parents that I would never live to be 18, or if I did, I'd be in jail, or I'd be dead, one of the two, because I just, I think differently than most people always have. Mm. But I didn't find any of those things that I was taught how to survive growing up as a kid to be things that were productive for me. Mm -hmm. So uh, I have always said this. I am too pretty for jail. Oh, yeah. I, I agree. You know, and there'd be riots in jail if I ever had to go to jail. <laughs> they'd all be fighting over me. Riots. They'd all be fighting over me. Yeah. So just too pretty for jail. We could just stop recording now. That's that's. <laughs> I think that was perfect. It's all it's all downhill from here. No, uh, and no, then, but, but, oh, go ahead. But in any case, uh, for me as a kid, how I uh, dealt with things was anything that got me out of the house was great for me. I mean, and it's sad because I had all the gangs and I had the people that weren't in gangs who were also thugs and whatever else. Had the family members, but when I went to school, life was great. Mm. When I went to school, I was important. When I went to school, I learned how to to work with people, manipulate things. I always got away with stuff on the sly. I didn't do bad things. So I got to do more things than, than other kids did growing up and, and going to school. School was like the most important thing to me. I was important. You know, mm -hmm. I didn't get hit at school, right? Yeah. I didn't get beat at school. I didn't get yelled at at school. Uh, but I also got praised at school. And I got to be a school reps and I played sports and whatever else. So my escape was school, basketball, and reading as much as I could when I was a kid. I didn't know you could read. Um, I don't know either. I knew you could play basketball. I, I feel the exact same way. I loved school. I hated when we'd go on uh, summer break. So did I. It oh would just God. be my dad depressed. all summer. Yeah. I'd be so and depressed. That last day of school, oh my God, I'd be so depressed. I wanted to cry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'd, I'd be one of the the only kid probably in my group of friends. I'd say, I, I wish we stayed, I hate summer break, hate winter break, hate spring break. Yeah. Uh, because we'd just be home and it would just be, it'd be terrible. And that was something that popped up with, with this whole coronavirus thing with people who are in abusive homes or in abusive relationships. They're stuck at home. I can't imagine doing that now. Um, oh, it would have been horrible for me. Yeah. So then how was high school like? Because high school is a big, huge stage in, I think, everybody's life. What was that like for you? Wow. Let's see. I have said this so many times. It is very, very sad to have peaked at junior high school. <laughs> Damn. So when the rest of your life is downhill. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> 
I peaked in junior high school. Oh no! But um, high school was great for me. Uh-huh. I have a really interesting story about high school. I went to a school that's called Manual Arts. Actually, I went to Manual Arts CIP, which is a high school within a high school. So they have what's called a magnet program in LA, or they used to. So that's basically your quote unquote gifted or smart kids. And the funny thing about all this is up until the sixth grade, I was considered to be one of the dummies in school. It was primarily because my parents only cared if I brought home a C. If I didn't bring home a C, I got the belt. Mm-hmm. So they didn't care otherwise. They had really not too much interest in my education because that was it. You come home, you pass your grades, great. If you got a B or an A, fantastic. But otherwise, you could have a C. So I also, as a child, had a speech impairment. So I stuttered mm-hmm. and I had a really bad accent, <laughs> which they never could place. But it was primarily because a lot of the West African, Belizean, and some of the Mexican family members and whatnot, for some, for some reason, I, Im- I imitated the way they spoke. And so I had an accent for a while. So the LAUSD decided that they were going to help me with my accent and also with my stuttering, which resulted in the reading time that you had in school, where you're in this one classroom, of course, and throughout the day, at one point you're working on math, the next point you're working on reading, and then social sciences or whatnot. And whenever it was time for reading, I would be one of the kids that was taken out of the class, taken to a special classroom, and work with a counselor that would help me pronounce words, try to figure out the stuttering and whatnot, which resulted in me being in the sixth grade and reading, I believe it was a second grade workbook that I was in, in the sixth mm-hmm. grade. So everyone thought that that was my reading level, which no one ever cared. And very fortunate for me, I had a teacher who had a nervous breakdown (laughs) South Central (laughs) LA and we ended up getting a different teacher her name was uh, Mrs. Turner really really large large black lady who took no crap one day she asked me if I really needed to be in a second grade reading group because you get into different groups Mm -hmm. based off the reading level in the classroom and it was kind of like a pecking order because there was this one group that was golden, was it Golden Voyages? So they're in the sixth grade, but it's an eighth grade book, mm-hmm. lesson plan and whatever, right? And I'm still in the second grade book. I mean, I've been in this, this book for a while, so I'm I'm pretty good at it because I've done the same assignments over and over every year, yeah. right? So one day, Mrs. Turner asked me. Um, she said, uh, "Why are you in this this group?" I don't know. And she asked me if I could go ahead and and uh, do the work. So I did. And then she asked me if I wanted to do the next group, the third grade book. Sure, whatever. So I took it home on Friday. And this is the entire school year book. Mm. I took home on Friday. And I came back on Monday and I did all the assignments in the book. Yeah. And so she was impressed. And so then she asked me, do I want to go through the fourth grade book? And I'm sure, whatever. So in any case, uh, over a couple of weeks, I went from the second grade book to the eighth grade book. Um, then I had to catch up to the kids that were in the eighth grade reading book and all the material and whatever else. And then from that point forward, I was no longer considered one of the dummies. Mm-hmm. I started thinking I was a smart kid. 
Okay, so then that relates to junior high school. Junior high school, um, once again, I, I moved around, but I stayed at the same elementary. And when I went to junior high, I was very lucky to be with my godbrother. And so when we got to junior high school, we all had that, that first semester, like I said, where everyone's taking the first same class and whatever, and then they gave us a test. And all of a sudden they said, hey, you're a smart kid. So junior high was good for me because when I, they thought I was a smart kid, uh, I'd use my charm or whatever else. I learned to work with adults. Um, I, <laughs> uh, I, I took typing three different times. <laughs> I took typing in the seventh grade. And like the week before grades were due, my typing instructor took me out of class into the hallway and she said to me, you are the worst typer I have ever had in my entire life of being a teacher. Oh no. She's, yes. And she said, you will never learn to type. So before grades are due, we're transferring you to journalism. And I was hurt because I thought I was the, like, the best typer in class. <laughs> I mean, uh -huh. I got the elbow thing down. There you go. <laughs> right? <laughs> so that was a great thing to happen because I ended up going to journalism and become editor-in-chief of the school paper, which allowed me to do even more free activities around school and whatnot. So in any case, junior high was great. Um, I have a four-year gap between most of my cousins, they're either four years older or four years younger. Mm. So I was very accustomed to having most of my friends be older than me. So in junior high school, all my friends were older. And it worked out great because, um, you know, you're at that time in your life and girls all of a sudden became something different to you. And then on top of that, the girls that were ninth graders, because our high school, junior high was seven through nine, those were like the most beautiful, women in the entire world. They had all mm -hmm. the sophistication and whatnot. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And here I was, I hung out with all the cool kids. I literally became my freshman, my first year of seventh grade. I became the most popular kid in school. Um, had many, many run-ins with the thugs and the other kids and whatnot. And, and uh, we had this thing called the ninth grade lawn and when I, at, my, at my junior high, and it was only ninth graders who can go on the lawn, and they had a thing called Scrub Day. Uh -oh. now, I don't know if, if Scrub Day is anywhere else but in L.A., but my mom warned me about Scrub Day. You know, Scrub Day in L.A. is usually the first Friday of the seventh grade, and it's like all the teachers and the yard people turn a blind eye to the older kids, you know, roughing up the seventh graders. Oh, no. <laughs> you know, it's, it was fun. It was fun. And I'm, I'm that kid that I will never take a punch. Trust me. Yeah. <laughs> if I get hit, I'm hitting you back, right? If I'm not hitting you back, I'm hitting you back four or five times. And I know we're joking around and playing and whatnot, but uh, it was fun. And you know, my mom warned me, said when she was in school, she got, you know, they put stuff in her hair and gave her a few punches or whatever. I'm the kid who looked forward to scrub day that first Friday. Mm -hmm. I was excited. I couldn't wait for scrub day. Oh my God. <laughs> and our homeroom was right outside the ninth grade lawn. The homeroom door opens and you have all these eighth and ninth graders just standing there. And as soon as you come out, they're just punching. It's like a, like a gauntlet. They're punching uh -huh. you and whatever. And throughout the entire day, you're just getting beat up. After getting punched a few times that day, you know, and 
they're always telling you, don't hit back. <laughs> Whatever, dude. Yeah. <laughs> you hit me, I'm hitting you back. And so at much time, I decided that I was going to walk to the middle of the ninth grade lawn and challenge any ninth grader to take me off because it was now my lawn. <laughs> what? I got it. So the ninth grade lawn is it's LA. So there's not a lot of grass. It's a grass area, and then there's nothing but concrete surrounding it with a little, like a three foot fence around it. So you know the barrier basically. And I walked to the middle, dared any ninth grader to take me off, and I got, you know, it's like Charlie horses are giving you, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm getting the crap beat out of my legs and whatever, and then they, they escort me off the ninth grade lawn. I'm not taking a punch. Sorry. So I walk back on the ninth grade lawn, <laughs> challenge them again. This went on like three or four times until they got <laughs> to the point where I'm literally surrounded by eight guys, and they're just punching me, and I'm laughing my head off. And I get to the point where I realize, okay, that's enough punches. Now I'm going to punch back. So I start kicking. I kicked. And all the punches stopped, and I couldn't figure out why. And I'm still waiting for the next punch to come, and it's not coming. And it turns out that I kicked this one kid. His name was Shadow. He had this is he's a ninth grader, and a drug dealer. And so he was like the the most high yellow kid. You know how yellow is, right? Nope. Black people with light skin. Ah, uh, okay. High yellow. Okay. The most high yellow kid you ever seen in your life. He had this. Big, huge diamond, not diamond, a uh, gold-plated shadow was it had his name on it, on the chain, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? In, in the ninth grade. Apparently, I kicked shadow in the jaw. And you don't touch shadow. I learned, I learned the hard way. And so when I did it, they all stopped. And this, so then what they did at that point is like, ooh. Mm-hmm. And I don't know who shadow is. So these ninth graders picked me up and physically threw me in the air onto the concrete afterwards. When I landed on the concrete, oh my God, my body was hurting. And all I heard was, after school, Shadow is gonna kill you. And at this point I'm thinking, crap, how bad is that really gonna be? And part of me's nervous. And the other part is, uh, no, this guy really is a drug dealer and he actually carries a gun and whatever else at school. He probably is gonna kill me. Yeah. So here it is after school. I'm like, crap, I'm not running from shadow because I'll be running for the rest of my life and whatever. But I'm not looking for shadow either. <laughs> <laughs> so I am, I'm in the restroom in the administration building at the trough and I'm peeing. And then all of a sudden, shadow walks in the restroom. Oh, damn. <laughs> it's just the two of us. <laughs> and I can think, I'm thinking that this way bigger kid, you know, whatever, this thug, is going to just beat the crap out of me and push my head into the, tr- the trough, the urinal, right? Mm-hmm. And he looks over at me and he was like, how you doing? <laughs> and I don't even want to respond. <laughs> okay. And he was like, you're a tough little kid. Pees and washes his hands and leaves. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. I didn't get beat up. So here it is the next week. It's all the kids are asking if I got killed by a shadow or whatever. Like, you never even beat me up. Didn't do anything to me. That first week, we have a dance. And our dances are inside the um, gymnasium. There was a girl named Precious. Precious. Uh... <laughs> now, this is the time of J.J. Fad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> With the, the hair and salt and pepper and all that. Mm-hmm. And Precious had 
the gold chains, the hair thing. She had her own crew because everywhere Precious went, she had like four or five girls that just followed her and just whatever she did, they all follow along with it. I don't remember who her boyfriend was, but it's the first dance. And usually the seventh graders stay clear of dances because they don't want to get beat up by the older kids or whatever. And we're at the dance and me being me, I told a couple of my buddies, I'm going to go ask Precious to dance. Oh, hey. No, no. No, this is a no, no. Right? But me, I have, I'm like, screw it, man. Precious, she might, might be in love with me. That's how I figured it, obviously. So I walked over to Precious during one of the funny, what was it? Man, that's 89, that rap era back then. And I asked Precious to dance. And all her friends looked at me and looked at her. And Precious liked me because I was a little kid to her, like a little brother. She's like, yeah, we can dance. So we're dancing. And I have all the seventh graders looking at me like, oh, my God, he's dancing with Precious. And then I looked to the side. I got the ninth graders. They're not happy. So a couple of ninth graders came over, interrupted my dance with Precious, <laughs> <laughs> escorted me out of the Aww. gymnasium, turned me upside down, <laughs> put me in a trash can, and rolled me. <laughs> Damn. And then after that, they took my shoes <laughs> and they threw my shoes on top of one of the buildings. What the so, hell? So here it is. I go to fifth period after this dance. I, I'm literally, I got trash on me. I'm trying to get it off or whatever else. Uh, went to fifth period and a custodian walks in and says, hey, we got your shoes off the roof because I'm walking around in my socks. Uh-huh. <laughs> So it must be yours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. News spreads all over school, you know, that this kid, he got thrown in the trash can and whatever else. And, of course, you don't tell. Who threw you in the trash can? Um, what trash can? What are you mm-hmm. talking about, right? And then so after that, after that day, after that Friday, I got invited to hang out with the cool kids all the time. So, once again, it's, it sucks to peak at junior high. Yeah, you know? you're right. You definitely did peak. Yes, it, and then so from that day forward, I was the most popular kid in junior high. It was great. It's about yeah. so once again, school was life. Everything for me was life. Yeah. And on basket, and on, uh, I'm gonna tell you another story because I get to just talk right now. I'm lucky. Yeah, yeah, go. This is you. In seventh grade, no, in sixth grade, that summer between sixth and seventh, I was born. That is the summer of '86. It was the greatest summer and year of my life. That's how I look at it. And um, my family, I have many multiple nicknames, as you should know. My stepdad called me Soup Bone or Bone because I was so skinny. And they used to always say that like, I had no meat on me and whatever else. And I was a real skinny kid. For four years of my life, when all my friends were going through puberty, I was the same size. Never got any, <laughs> just like this little skinny toothpick, right? So they called me Soup Bone or Bone. And when I was in the seventh grade, we went on the camping trip. I went flying off of a hill, more like falling off of a hill. And then the kids started calling me Superman. So between my family and the kids at high school, Soup Bone and Superman became Soup. Mm. So from that, from seventh grade forward, I was called Soup. And until I became a row, and then I, be, and I got the name of Six. So mm-hmm. different story. So in any case... That summer of 86, I went to go live with, my, with some family members in Paris, California. My mom told me that she was trying to get me out of South Central for the summer. Turns out, in reality, we got evicted, and so didn't have anywhere <laughs> to live. Okay, yeah. 
That's a good reason. So, so they sent me to live with my cousins in Paris, which was way different than South Central. And then while I was there, uh, living with the cousins that were a little bit older than me and their friends, they were all football players and baseball players and basketball players in this small town. I showed up with two pairs of shoes, one being my church shoes, the other ones being my normal shoes, which had duct tape all over and whatnot because my parents would never spend money on me as a kid growing up, but I was mm. always a hustler. And my two older cousins, um, Eugene and Curtis, they had paper routes. All the They also owned a bike shop, which was pretty interesting. And instead of giving me a bike, they told me I had to make my own bike out of the scraps. And I had this really ugly beach cruiser frame, dirt, <laughs> dirt bike wheels what um, banana seat <laughs> and weird handlebar bike that i put together and it worked for the most part i couldn't turn a corner without lifting the pedal up because it, the pedal would hit the ground and i would fall off the bike mm -hmm. and then also that summer i didn't know any better because i'm using scrap parts and the front wheel locked up on me one day, and I flipped forward on the bike, scraped up my, my face, chipped my teeth. Oh, shit. <laughs> it was an incredible summer. In any case, that summer I got a job working for a man that you always run into people one way or the other and don't realize how they're going to change your life. Mm -hmm. They may not realize the impact they have on you, but this man, his name was Mr. Perry, and he owned a barbecue place in Paris, and I got tired of my parents sent me with no money and my cousins, you know, they had money and my cousins and the right of being my cousins, you, know, you beat the crap out of the young ones and you tease them and harass them because that's how my family is. They have a rule that, you know, they can beat you up, but nobody else can. So that's how I, that's how I was taught. So my cousins used to get paid from their paper route and all their paper route buddies would come over and we would go to the hostess shop Hell yeah! and, and buy, you know, everything was so cheap. And they would buy all this stuff and have, you know, sodas and whatever. And we sit on the, the, the steps and I would sit below them on the steps and everyone else has money and they would buy stuff. <laughs> and then they're like, want a donut? Yeah, I want a donut. So they take a bite of a donut and throw it at me. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> you trying to catch it? <laughs> I'll still eat it. Right. You want some soda? Yeah, I want some soda. You know, like, don't be backwashing my soda. So then she have a sip and that's about it. Uh -huh. I, was like, I was like, wow, I'm at the low end of the totem pole here. In any case, after an incident where my cousin Eugene decided to teach me his paper route and had me do it for two weeks, I'm doing his work for two weeks, right? Mm. Then he gets paid and he hands me $3. And what? I looked at him. Yeah. And I was like, what the heck? And I threw his $3 back at him, which resulted in me getting beat up. But whatever. <laughs> and then that next day, I woke up, I put on my church, the church clothes, and I swear I went to every business in that town asking if they would, you know, allow me to work. I had my report card in my hand, and I had wrote out an entire speech, you know, saying Aww. my name, that I was a really good kid. Here's my report card, shows you my grades, you know. What is that? I had all A's and like one B plus or whatever when I graduated, like elementary, so... Uh, and every business I go to, they're telling me the same thing. You're too young, kid. You can't have a job. And the very last place uh, was at the very edge of town on this highway, across from the Ford dealership. 
and I asked the old man there at this barbecue place if I can have a job. And he told me no. Same thing. You know, and I've been at this like since seven AM. So and it's it's like dusk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I told this old man, I was like, I'm not leaving until <laughs> you give me a job. I've been to every single place in this town, right? And lucky for me, there was this old lady in there with him. And this is at Paris. It was like 113 degrees. You know, mm-hmm. like barely any even hot for you guys people in Phoenix. Right? Yeah, that's winter Antipi. for us. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> so she was in the restaurant with him. She had this really big yellow boa, kind of like Hulk Hogan style, whatever, and this big dress. And, and she told him, she said, oh, I'll give the baby a chance or whatever else. And he's like, I don't need any help. So she convinced him to let me vacuum the floor in the restaurant mm-hmm. in exchange for dinner. Right. And I was a big eater. So mm-hmm. I was like, man, I'll vacuum the floor. It took me two hours to vacuum the floor in this restaurant. It probably should take me about 20 minutes, but I was being as thorough as I possibly could. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Finished vacuuming the restaurant, sat down with him. He made me this big old plate of ribs and all the fixings on the side. And I am just, right. Keep in, keep in mind, I've been walking all day long. I'm sweaty. I'm dusty. I got my church clothes on, but I'm grubbing down. So then he tells me, good job vacuuming the, the restaurant, but you still can have a job. No, you can't. You're too young. And I, he's like, why do you want me a job? And I told him, I said, you know, I explained the situation about me coming from South Central, not having any money. You know, you can look at my shoes with duct tape all over them, whatever else. All the other mm-hmm. kids are wearing Adidas the run DMC Adidas and whatever else. I got the pro wings with the duct tape. (laughs) (laughs) And on top of that, with the pro wings and the duct tape, I'm still trying to talk to the girls. Uh (laughs) (laughs) I get shot down, I get shot down, whatever. After spending maybe another half an hour just talking to him and the lady begging him and asking him a favor, he finally said, okay, come back tomorrow at, what was it, at nine. We'll see how it works out. I was so excited. I go home to my cousin's house. No, there's a big part about this. My cousins had this Rottweiler name. I think his name was Tuffy. And this dog loved me as his chew toy. No, damn. <laughs> <laughs> no. And they used to always tell me the same thing. Oh, he's not really going to bite you. He's not going to hurt you. He wouldn't break skin, but he would wrap his teeth around my ankle and pull me. And he or he would grab my pants and he would knock me down. This dog just hated me. And they had him in the backyard on the chain, but it was just enough room, like this much between the sliding glass door and where the dog could get to. So if you got in time, got to the door in time before a dog got to me, he didn't get me. But otherwise, he grabbed onto my butt or whatever, dragged me down the dirt. Oh, this dog, Tuffy, just loved to do this every day. And we had no keys to the house, so you had to go around the back to the sliding door. Mm-hmm. So every time I went home, Tuffy was waiting for me. <laughs> no. <laughs> that was the greatest summer ever. I got a job working for Mr. Perry, and I worked every day from 9 till 9. Every day. He was open every day. And it turns out this man was running this restaurant by himself. And it was called Joe's Liberty Bell. Mm-hmm. And so he told me that if anyone asked, I was his grandson. That way I can legally work there and whatever. And he told me back then, uh, minimum wage was three eighty five an hour. And so Ooh. he said that he would pay me minimum wage and then we would split tips. 
because prior to me coming, he was getting all the tips, right? Yeah. I busted my butt at this restaurant. I mean, it was great. I got free food and I got paid. After a few weeks, Mr. Perry tells me, um, I'm not going to pay you anymore. He said, you're making so much money in tips. You can just keep your tips and you don't get paid. Cool. Whatever. I'm 11 years old. I'm bringing home 60 to 80 bucks a day and free food. Yeah. And um, it's funny. I actually have them up in there. Um, I remember I'm, I'm getting paid in cash every day, obviously. Right. And so what I did, because I'm a cheapskate, I don't like spending money. Um, since I didn't have money a lot, whenever I did have it, I saved it. My parents, on the other hand, believe if you have money, you got to spend it. But you don't mm. know if you're going to get it again. And I'm like, that, that's make, that makes no sense. Yeah. Right? So I remember asking my older cousin, who was the mom of the, of the house, if she can start saving the Cool Whip jars. And I, I got some duct tape, and I would wrap up the duct the cool whip jars with duct tape, put a slit in the middle and just mm-hmm. throw money in there. And I did it every day. And one day Mr. Perry asked me, I know you're making all this money. I don't see you buy anything. It's like, you don't, you don't have any new clothes. You don't have any shoes or whatever. He's like, you're still wearing the shoes with the duct tape on. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. And, and my, the way I looked at it was if I wasn't getting any play from the girls, when I had the duct tape on, I'm not going to go buy shoes that are expensive and clothes are expensive and then try to get play from the girls. Either they liked me or they didn't. One or the other, right? That's how I look okay. at it. And plus, growing up in South Central, man, you got, like, I will never buy a pair of Jordans. I don't even like Jordan to begin with. But I would never buy expensive stuff because I don't want to get beat up and stolen from me. Right? right. So I grew up, whenever, you know, when I would buy stuff, i buy Vans. Or I would buy, like, the Nikes that were cool, but not the super ultra-cool Nikes or whatever. You know, that type of stuff. Yeah. After having this talk that night with Mr. Perry, I decided to go on my way home to the supermarket, which was Stater Brothers. It's a brand, it's a chain that used to be in L.A., I'm not sure, Southern California. And I'm standing in line. It's like 9, 30, 10. Keep in mind, I'm 11 years old. And the entire time I'm gone, the entire day for weeks, my cousins never ask where I am or what I'm doing. What? <laughs> That's just how it was. You left, you came back, they verified you were sleeping, and they just kind of let you be. It was great. Mm-hmm. It was like freedom, right? I go into State of Brothers. I find the only pair of shoes that somewhat fit me. They were like two or three sizes too big. And I still have these shoes. They are, without doubt, my second most prized possession, have them in the closet in a box up there. A pair of Pro Jogs. That was the, the name brand. <laughs> so I didn't even buy name brand shoes. Uh-huh. So I'm standing in line, and there's this lady behind me. And so she says to me, she's like, uh, where are your parents, little boy? My answer is, in L.A.? <laughs> <laughs> and so she's trying to figure out why am I out at night by myself in the store in, the store in line, right? She asked me if I, you know, how am I going to pay for the shoes I have in my hand? And I tell her, with money? Why are you asking me these questions? I'm not being rude about it, but I'm like, with money? So she's talking to the cashier now, you know, over me saying, this kid's in line. He doesn't have any money or whatever else. His, his parents aren't around. And I just ignore him, being polite. Just ignore her. And I get up to, I'm next in line. And I put the shoes up there and 
this is before scanning. So they type in the price of the shoes. Oh, yeah. And so the lady asked me how I'm going to pay, and I pull out my money from the day. This big old wad. <laughs> and I flip it through it. And the shoes were like $12. So I'm flipping through it. <laughs> and like I hand her a 20, and they're all amazed. And they're like, oh my God, where'd you get all this money from? And I'm telling them I have a job. No one believes me. I'm like, whatever. So they gave me my shoes, and I get my pro jogs. And I love those pro jogs. I had to put a big old wad of toilet paper in the front <laughs> of the shoes. <laughs> you know, yeah. and these shoes were the coolest shoes in the world to be. And I, all the other kids just laughed their heads off because I'm wearing these pro jogs as opposed to Adidas or whatever. Nike wasn't even – back in the day, it was, it was Adidas and Fila. Those mm. were two big-name brands. Yeah, so what happened at the end of the story? I got some funny things happened that summer. Uh, we had an earthquake. And mm. they left me in the house. It happened at night. And, <laughs> and everyone got up and went outside. And they said, left you. <laughs> and got the next morning. I'm like, what happened last night? And some of the news, the earthquake happened. And they're like, oh, it was an earthquake. What did, you know, I'm like, what happened? And they're all, yeah, we left you. Yeah, you were sleeping. So, great. What? <laughs> and living there that summer, I'm in the room with the boys. And so they had bunk beds. And I have a sleeping bag on the floor. I remember like the first week I was there, I look in the freezer and there are these, they would, uh, they would hold on to the empty milk jugs and they would fill them with water. And I was thinking they were doing this and put them in the freezer, you know, to have cold water throughout the day. I learned the hard way. That's not really what they were doing. So <laughs> it's like two or three in the morning. I'm in my sleeping bag and the light turns on and they're all dumping ice water on me. No. <laughs> No, oh, that was the greatest summer. Oh my goodness. Because I talked so much trash as a kid, because that's how I was. I talked a lot of trash all the time. If you can't fight or they're bigger than you, then you talk trash no matter what. Because you're mm. going to get beat up. At least you're going to say what you want to say, right? <laughs> yeah. So keep in mind, here are these two older cousins of mine. They're all everything and all these trophies for sports and stuff in town. And so, and they're friends, and they're all lifting weights. I didn't lift weights. I was a small little kid. So here we are in the backyard with a dang dog, and they're all, you're going to lift weights. I don't want to lift weights. They take, it couldn't have been more than maybe 45, no, it was probably more than that, maybe like 80 pounds or whatever. Dumbbell, I'm on the bench, put up. As soon as I get it, it falls on my neck. No. I, I have no arm strength. And what, what do my cousins and their friends do? They say, you'll get it off. And they leave me in the backyard. What and the I have hell? this, literally this dumbbell on my neck. <laughs> and I don't know how to get it off. So what I ended up doing was rolling it down my body until I finally got to the ground. Uh -huh. And then after that, I had to run in the house because the dog was chasing after me. <laughs> God love your family. So in any case, that was, a, that was the most incredible summer. Me bragging about how tough I was and whatever and, and how large my incredibly small penis was to these older guys one day they decided <laughs> damn none of this is airing none of this this is just for me trash. <laughs> yeah. trash right so the parents my older cousins were always gone it's like they were like hardly ever there that's it was dinner time right what the what the kids ended up doing was my older cousins and their friends they called all the girls in the neighborhood and they said come to the house because whenever they did anything, when we played basketball or whatever, all the girls would come and they would sit on the lawn and watch them play sports. 
And I hated basketball back then. Hated it with a passion. I understood it because my stepfather forced me to watch basketball, which made me not even want to play basketball. But mm -hmm. I understood basketball, but I couldn't actually play the game. So they would have the girls come over, and they would sit on the lawn. It was like the little event. And whenever they would play sports, they called the girls over. They beat the crap out of me. You know, it was a bunch of trolley horses and whatever else. Stripped me down nude and then put me on the lawn <laughs> and locked the doors. <laughs> what the? <laughs> All the girls. <laughs> In the neighborhood there. Oh, damn. <laughs> so I am running around the house trying to get back in, but naked. Uh -huh. And all the girls are laughing. <laughs> the myth of the very, very large penis that I had was basically uh, defunct that day. It was destroyed. <laughs> yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. Once again, it, it sucks to peak at junior high, right? That summer was coming to a close. My uh, parents came to pick me up, bring me back to L.A. two weeks before school started. And so they show up, and I asked if I could stay to the very end. And they said no. And I am begging and pleading, and they still said no. We're leaving tomorrow, basically. And so I told them I had a job. And everybody's like, you have a job? <laughs> no one knew I had a job. <laughs> and so they're all in the living room, and I said, okay, hold on. I go into the room and I have my duffel bag and no one noticed that my clothes were no longer in my duffel bag. <laughs> so I take my duffel bag into the living room and I believe I had 12 or 13 Cool Whip jars all sealed. Yeah. And I told, I tell my parents, I was like, you didn't let me stay here just to help out and whatever else. And cause I was always taught you give to your parents, you help your family no matter what. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's hurt me in life, trust me, but that's the way I was taught, right? Yeah. So in any case, um, they're like, what's in here? So they're opening up these Cool Whip jars, and it's just stacked with money. And they're like, oh, my God. And, they're, and then my cousins are pissed off at me. You've been here all summer <laughs> making money. You're not even telling us. You're not giving us any whatever else. And keep in mind, I, I don't spend money, Right. I don't have a purpose for spending money because I eat at the restaurant. Right. <laughs> and I don't do anything except work all day. Uh, well, that isn't true. It isn't true. I'm, I'm, I'm going to jump the story a little bit because I'm going to tell you about the day I became a man. Oh, here we go. It was that summer. I'm scared and excited. So there was, I can't remember. Her name was Michelle. It was Michelle. Yes. So there was a young lady who lived right down the road who was she probably was a sophomore or junior in high school. Yeah, she was a junior in high school. She was beautiful. She was just gorgeous. <laughs> she was gorgeous. And she was very much in love with my cousin, Curtis. And I was very much in love with her. Prior to me getting the job, I would go and sit on her porch and quote unquote spit game, try to talk to her, tell her how my cousin Curtis was an idiot that she should spend all her time with me. I was, back in the day, you know, you just played, it was on the radio, so you tape it, all the Run DMC songs, so I would memorize the rap songs and then try to rap them for her and whatever else, because remember, I'm from LA, right? So I'm trying to use that to my advantage. Nah, I'm getting no play. They had the carnival come to town, right across from the Albertsons in the empty lot. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna ask for a date. And so she says, oh, you want to take me to the carnival? Yeah. 
I put on my nicest shorts. I used to have the Brute, the green bottle, the Brute. Yeah. I had on so much Brute, I could, like, walk past a barbecue pit and just catch on the fire. Catch a fire. <laughs> <laughs> had the Brute on. Uh, of course, you know, we go to her on our bikes. Because, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> you, know, you know, how it is, right? She let me hold her hand. We bought, and I, I probably had anywhere between 150 and 200 bucks on me for this date, my first date, right? Mm-hmm. We get there early when it first opens. We go on every single ride. She plays all the games and whatever else, right? I'm cool. I'm loving this. I am loving this, right? But once again, I get to hold a hand and whatever, right? Of this older, much really attractive girl, whatever, uh-huh. right? We get to the point where it's almost dusk, and that's when all the older kids come, you know, because it's cool. You know, so her friends show up and my cousins and whatnot. And I look over at her and I, I tell her, I go, crap, I'm out of money now. And she's like, you don't have any money left? And we have all these little stuffed animals and whatever else. And I'm like, yeah, I'm out of money. Let's go hang out with everybody else. And she looks at me and she's like, no, you don't have any money. We're not hanging out anymore. Goodbye. <laughs> and I stood there. No. And she walked away from me. She went with all the other kids and I'm just standing there and I said to myself, oh my God, I just got used. And I sat there for a second and I was like, oh yeah, I just got used. I'm a man now. <laughs> Damn it. So proud of myself. Ah, I like <laughs> the way you look at things. I was like, I'm a man. I got used by a woman. <laughs> Money's on the table. They're counting it. I have never counted this money. I just stuff it in the, in the jars every day. Don't mm-hmm. care. Boy, I had a couple thousand dollars easily. Yeah, way over a couple thousand bucks. So they still said, no, you can't. You can't um, stay. So the next morning I get up. I go to work. I tell Mr. Perry it's my last day. And then I explain that I really don't want to go back home to South Central. It's two weeks left. I want to stay as much as I can because I don't want to be in the hood. And I want to keep making money. Right. Mm-hmm. So he tells me to have the entire family come to dinner on him that night. And he's going to talk to them. Wow. So I, I leave, go back, tell them. They're like, no way. He's not going to give all of us free food and whatever else. And I was like, yeah, he will. So that night, and I went back to work again. I worked, and they all show up. This is the entire family. So it's like eight or nine people. Put them at the big table, tells them they can order whatever they want. And, of course, my family does that. Order everything they want, right? And then I'm kind of like half embarrassed. Like, come on, man. If you were paying out of your own pocket, you wouldn't be ordering two Mm -hmm. slabs of ribs and this and, you know, per person type deal, whatever, right? Yeah. They eat. They have their to-go bags. (laughs) (laughs) The whole time they're doing this, I'm working. I'm busting tables. I'm washing dishes. I'm doing my normal thing. And then Mr. Perry asked me to come and sit down and talk. And so he talks to my parents and he tells them how I was a special kid and whatever else and how he hasn't seen anyone like me and my age out here trying to work and not do bad stuff and whatever and make money. And he begs them to let me stay for two more weeks. And they agree. So I'm wow. super excited. I, I tell my parents, you can have all that money. I don't care. And I said, the money I make the last two weeks, I'll use it for my school clothes and stuff, which I did. So I yeah. stayed the last two weeks. You know, I got dropped off at home, which was, quote, unquote, a new home. I had no idea that we had got evicted. (laughs) (laughs) 
right? Oh, so you found out later. Yeah, I found out okay. when I went home. Yeah. Because my older cousin, the, the dad of the house, he's asking me for directions how to get to my house. And I can't tell him because he has different address than what I'm used to going to, right? I remember he was so mad at me. How do you not know where you live? Uh, I get home and have a talk with my parents. And it was, it was rough because I had, it's like the college student as a freshman. When you leave and go to college and then you come back home for a break or whatever, and your parents are still looking at you as that high school kid Mm-hmm. And they're putting those restrictions on you and you have a curfew and whatever, but you just had the most freedom you ever had in your life as that, you know, that mm-hmm. college student. You're used to coming and going as you want, eating what you want, doing what you want. And now your parents are like this to you. What happened to me when I was 11? So <laughs> it was rough because I'm used to no one caring where I was all day and whatever else. And my parents were extremely strict and abusive and mean all the time. So it was Freedom to back to like enslavement again, you know, mm-hmm. turns out that they used the money that I gave to them to rent the house that we were living in. <laughs> so I was like, I should be getting some type of right. credit or benefit of all this or whatever. Nah, it was just horribly abusive again, whatever else. So anywho, that's the summer of soup. It's the summer I was born because I stopped being my parents' kid and becoming my own person. That mm-hmm. summer, summer of 86, greatest yeah. summer of my life. Also happens to be founding year of the greatest family ever of my life, Epsilon Sigma Rho. So it's interesting. 86. I, I think you and I define uh, fun differently. <laughs> How was that? I, was, I would imagine me doing all of those things. I'd be like, no, this sucks. This is terrible. But I see it. Where, where does your... Uh, that confidence come from with, with dealing with the ninth graders, with, with just going out on your own. It sounds like it started really young. I didn't get it till three weeks ago. Oh. <laughs> confidence. This goes back to my high school manual arts. When I was in kindergarten, I lived right around the corner from manual arts. And my cousin lived on the same block as me, just right down the street. And we would go to the manual arts football field while the players were practicing and we would walk on the football field and talk trash to the football players they we were they were hey little man go off the field and i'd be like take me off the field or whatever you know you don't uh-huh. want none of this you know type of thing and i remember these big guys would just kind of pick us up and walk us to the track <laughs> the track and we would do that a few times the adults would yell at us tell us to leave we weren't leaving you know and at that time in kindergarten i said i want to go to high school here no matter what. So all the moving I did, I always wanted to go to high school at Manual Arts. I was like this really, really young, to be honest. I have always been, it's like this personality has always been here. I get to uh, end of junior high, and it's 7, 8, 9 junior high, then 10, 11, 12 is how most schools were in L.A. My parents, and, and keep in mind, I didn't realize until maybe three years ago that I was homeless a lot. <laughs> it just never occurred to me. What? <laughs> I was homeless. I was a homeless kid growing up. I would go to school and get out of school and not know where I was supposed to go. Wow. And that was just my life. And if you are used to something and nothing else, then you don't think of it any other way. So uh, 
between my stepfather and his abusiveness and craziness, I was just punching bag growing up. So between that and then my parents being irresponsible with their money, you know, they would they prefer to have Hennessy and weed more than pay rent and put clothes on my back. That's <laughs> my okay. parents. That's how their thinking was, right? So I've always been a hustler because of that reason. So um, I would not know where I was supposed to go after school most most days. And it always amazed me that no one at school would recognize that I had worn the same clothes for like three days in a row, (laughs) you know? So in any case, I never spoke, never spoke a word of the abuse at school or kids, whatever. I just kind of played everything off, you know, like most kids do. I didn't, I didn't want to be separated from my mom. Mm -hmm. And I know, I know what happened. I get put in foster care and in LA, boy, you don't want to be in foster care and that goodness. So I just toughed it out. So in any case, um, it's, it's the ninth grade. My aunt, one of my, my mother, well, I have 18 aunts growing up. You know, you have so many, uh, my, my grandmother had five, four girls, five girls. And then of course they have different dads than their sisters, whatever. They're all considered sisters or whatever else, right? You know, it's different parents. They all grew up together as sisters. So I had 18 aunts. Mm-hmm. And one of my aunts, my aunt Vanessa, who's biologically my mother's sister, and my aunt Pam, who's not biologically my mother's sister, but she's biologically my aunt Vanessa's sister. You get it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So um, they lived out in, quote unquote, the valley. And they lived in Reseda. That year, I am playing basketball, doing my best to play basketball. Um, everywhere we lived, if I could, if I wasn't at school, I was on a basketball court. It was my salvation. It was getting away in my neighborhood or neighborhoods. If you were really good at playing basketball, a lot of times the gangs did not mess with you. They just kind of let you slide. So I really tried to be really good at basketball. And that summer of 86, I hated basketball. And my cousins enjoyed the fact that I, I sucked at basketball. And it was the first week of PE in junior high when we were assigned basketball and I didn't want to play and I sucked at it. And we're walking back to the gym after playing and the girls go to the left and the boys go to the right, to their locker rooms. Mm-hmm. And this one girl says to me, you look really good out there playing basketball today. That's all it took. So I remember walking to the gym and I'm telling my buddies, I was like, well, oh, we're playing basketball tomorrow and I'm playing point guard. And the guys were like, you can't even dribble. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. From now on, I'm point guard. And Aaron's like, no, you can't shoot. You can't dribble. It's like, I can beat you up. <laughs> yeah. So it doesn't matter. So from that day forward, I was working on my basketball game to where, as I said, no matter where we lived or where we moved, kept working on my game because it was the only thing I could do when I wasn't at home and I wasn't at school. I got pretty good at basketball. It saved me. Um, the whole basketball story relates to like several times I have been threatened. Um, to be stabbed because <laughs> I'm playing basketball too well or whatever. I had a 38 put to my head one day while playing basketball and was told that we're going to lose the next couple games. And I did my very best to make sure that we lost the next couple games. Don't play basketball with gang members. <laughs> so yeah. it's just not fair really. Right. I remember playing at Venice beach one day and um, I'm just balling. And this guy stops in the middle of the game, goes to the side, gets his knife out of his duffel bag, and tries to stab me on the court because he said I was embarrassing him in front of his girlfriend and his buddies. And the guy, I told the guy, put the knife down. Let's fight. He won't put the knife down. So his friend took the knife out of his hand. At that point, the guy didn't want to fight anymore. And he, you know, took off. Of course off. not. <laughs> yeah, of course not. What's up? He wants up. So many kids in South Central 
play sports in the valley. They get bust out, mm. you know. And it was just like, for example, if you ever watched um, Straight Outta Compton, and Ice Cube got bust to Taft. Taft is one of those schools that they yeah. get the kids from South Central to go to, and they bust them. That's how you saw him coming through the hood and whatever else, and then out to the valley. Now, one of my best buddies, his name was Napoleon. We call him Nappy. And so, and he, the funny thing is, call him Nappy, and he was all Salvadorian. So, Nap. Yeah. Yeah. So, it was just our thing. So, Nappy lived in my neighborhood at that time. And I used to go to his house a lot. He had a room in the backyard. And we used to go to the junior high school. He's the one that we got that 38 point in my face. We were playing two on two against these gang members, and he didn't want to lose. So, he, that was him. So, he was going to go to Reseda to play ball. I wanted to go to Reseda to play ball. My parents arranged for me to live with my aunt Vanessa it was really to get me out of my abusive house so I was going to live with my aunt Vanessa and that summer I stayed with her and I every day I got up and I went to the park like maybe like a three mile walk to the park with this crappy yellow no rip on it bowling basketball that was from the schools that my stepfather gave to me one day because I left on a bus somewhere no, no slick on it at all. It was just, it was slick or whatever. I would get up, walk to the park by my, you know, there's like no one out there that early in the morning and I would work on my left hand because the coach at Reseda said, oh, I know you can play, but none of my guards, if you don't, if you can't use your left hand, you can't play for me. So Damn. I was going to work on my left hand. I did everything in my right. I mean, I was in trouble with my right. Then I have to use my left hand. So I would get up every day, I go down to the park, and I'm just dribbling back and forth with my left hand off my knee, off the, my foot, going everywhere, and then trying to use my left hand for a layup, and then wait till everyone showed up to play. And then when all the, you know, the big kids and the adults, whenever came out there to play, I'm out there playing with my left hand, getting blocked, getting the ball stolen from me, you know, getting embarrassed. And I just told myself, you have to go through this until you can learn to use your left hand. And mm-hmm. I did it that summer, right before school started. And I'm all excited about going to Reseda. My aunt Vanessa and I had a falling out. And so I was trying to do something good for her. And then she got mad at me. I was cleaning out the, the, the refrigerator. And there's like a little drip pan that's right underneath some of the older freezers. So mm. it defrost and whatever. So I, I'm cleaning out our nasty fridge put the drip pan on the stove while I'm cleaning everything out. Didn't realize about the pilot light, which sit, sat there for a good half, half an hour, 20 minutes, and it burned a little small hole in the oh, drip pan. Oh, no. And so she gets home, and she flips out, and she doesn't even care about what I was trying to do. It was nice. She's just mad because I ruined this pan, and I had to pay her back for it. And that summer, I was working illegally at a place called News Express, one of the people she knew, the kid went on vacation, so they had me come in and do his work and clock in for him. And then when he, I got paid the money, basically, how it worked. Okay. So, always hustling. She said, Hey, yeah, as soon as you get paid, you're going to pay me, and then you can go live back with your parents again. And I was like, You're so mad over this one little thing? Whatever. So now I'm back at home and not wanting to be there. And my uh, stepfather was, in, was like, there's no way in the world he's going to go to manual. And my mom was very, very smart about it because she knew I wanted to go there. And she told, she lied and told him that it was too late for me to, to get into one of the other schools in South Central. So I had to go to manual. 
and which was fantastic because I got to go to manual. And then um, the way things work, uh, that junior high school and all the things that we did. I mean, for example, was a what school on Saturdays in, in junior high school when I got put into the whole smart kid group. I took eighth and ninth grade. I took geometry. I did algebra, algebra two, geometry, all in junior high school. And we had Saturday classes and um, didn't think anything of it because we didn't have a choice. They're like, you kids are doing these things because you guys are on track to go to college and whatever, right? So when I, uh, manual arts, the CIP program is kind of like college. You have to literally fill out an application, write essays to get into mm -hmm. the program. I show up at my high school but at manual arts and I go with my mom to the regular office, the administration office, and they said, no, you got to go upstairs to the counseling office up there. I go up there. They said, oh, we've been waiting for you to show up. They had already admitted me because my oh. counselors from junior high had already forwarded my information to manual. And unlike all my friends who were stressing and had to go through the entire application process, I did it. They were like, yeah, we're just waiting for you to show up. You're in. I was like, oh, okay. So All right. that's what happened at manual. Oh, I got a funny story for you for manual arts. Here you go. You're going to love this. Let's You're have gonna it. Love this. Okay. You know me so far. I am, I'm just me, right? Yeah. So my high school had um, security guards at the front of the school. You came in through the front gate, not the front gate, through the front door administration office. It's, remember, this is 10, 11, 12, right? Only the, the seniors were allowed to leave campus. And back then in, in LA, school always started on a Wednesday. And it was usually in September. And I always knew it was about to be school time because it was always the week of my mom's birthday. She was September 14th. So it was always like that second week or so or third week. Mm -hmm. So it's Wednesday, first day of school. And um, we're seeing all these kids leave, all the seniors, and they have to check out. And they get to leave and they have to come back on campus after they'll get lunch or whatever. And my buddies and I were all in the, the, in the, in the hallway. And I said, I'm going to leave. And they're telling me, Soup, you're not going to leave. They're not going to let you out of school. They're going to let me leave. So I go up to the front. No. <laughs> stand in line. <laughs> and they ask me, and they're like, uh, where's your ID? Do you all get IDs on the first day? Where's mm -hmm. your ID? I get my ID to them, and they're like, uh, no, you're in the 10th grade. You can't leave. And I try to play it off like I'm dumb. I can't leave? Oh, I didn't know that. And they're like, yeah, whatever, kid. Get out of line. Do I make a fuss about it? No. I just said thank you, and I walked away. Friends are laughing at me and whatever else, right? So here it is, Thursday. And I told my friends, I said, I promise you, on Monday, I am going to get out of school I'm not going to hop over the gate. I'm going to walk right through the front door and security's going to let me out. And they're like, no, you, just, you know, you need to hop over the gate like everyone. If you get hop over the gate and you get caught, you're going to get suspended or whatever, right? I'm like, well, why would I go through that crap? I'm not doing that. I'm right. walking out the front door on Monday and they're going to let me out. So this is Thursday. So, uh, and I had a job when I was in high school. All that reading I did as a kid, um, is John Muir Public Library in LA. When I couldn't play basketball or I wouldn't like, I didn't like doing my homework at home. I would try to go to the library and do my homework because I didn't want to be in the house. If, if I was in the home, my stepdad always found a reason to hit me for something. So yeah. 
I would go to the library and I would get my homework done there. And if my homework was done, I would read. I just didn't want to go home. You get it? So while I was at I was 14, <laughs> it's 14. One day, one of the librarians asked me for one of the job because I'm this kid that's in there every day. I was real respectful at all times and whatever else. You know, I always had great manners. You know, so they asked me if I wanted the job, and I got a adult staff job with benefits at 14 years old. Damn, 20 hours a week, and I worked in the library. And to be honest, like some months, I definitely made more money than my parents did. So, <laughs> and anyway, so at that point, from fourth grade on, uh, 14 on, I had to help pay bills in the house and whatever. That was just my mm -hmm. life. So in any case, I had cash, right? And on Friday, here's just the whole thing. It's Friday, first week of school. Mm -hmm. I walk back to the front door where all these high school students, I mean, the seniors are leaving out of the school, right? And I get there and they look at me and they tell me, we already told you, you can't leave. And I said, that's okay, I'm not asking to leave. And they're just like, why are you standing here? And I said, well, I'm waiting for something. And like, what? So I just stand there and they just keep going. They keep telling me you need to leave. And I said, well, I'm not bothering anybody. I just want to stand here. I'm waiting for something. It's on Vermont Boulevard, which is a really busy street in LA. There's no parking. It's a two lane, four lane, whatever. There's no parking in front, right, of the school. This little white car pulls up to the front of the school, puts the hazard lights on, double park. Guy comes out, two extra large pizzas from Main Street Pizza, downtown LA. I ordered and had delivered two extra large pepperoni pizzas to high school. <laughs> what? And I remember it was 25 bucks a pizza. That's 50 bucks, right? Uh -huh. And I'm standing there and the guy shows up and he's at the front with the pizzas. And I asked him, I said, well, can I get my pizzas? And they're like, you didn't order pizza. You can't order pizza. Nobody can order pizza at Bray Harbor, the Northwood High School. Yeah, you can. And I, and I just did. <laughs> <laughs> I went to my counselor's office and used the phone to verify the order. So I was really nice to the security and the police that we have police at our high school as well. And I, I asked, I said, well, can I at least step to the door so I can pay the man for the pizzas? And they're all confused and they're like, yeah, I guess, whatever. So what do I do? I get the man his 50 bucks plus a tip. And I have these piping hot pizzas in my hand and I take a few steps turn to the right and I got these adult security guards <laughs> looking at me and I said want a slice yeah I want a slice so gave all the guys there slices of pizza mm -hmm. and I immediately walked to the admin office which is right there walked in there went to the secretaries and offered all them slices of pizza I gave a slice of pizza to the assistant principal gave a slice of pizza to the principal went upstairs to my counselor by the time I was all done both pizzas completely gone. I didn't get one slice. Damn. Right? So that's Friday. And it's going around school. Oh, my God. Soup had pizza delivered to high school, to the school. Oh, my God. No one's ever done that. I'm like, yeah, whatever. So here it is Monday. It's lunchtime. I walk up to that door. Same security guards, right? And I said to them, I was like, man, I sure am hungry today. And it was a place across the street that called snack track. And then it was also a, a um, it was also a, um, a swap meet, swap mm. meet, indoor swap meet called King swap meet. 
and they also had a couple of restaurants in there that did fries. And that was a big thing in my high school. It was a dollar. You had a, uh, a brown bag filled with French fries for a dollar. You put ketchup on them, and you walk around school with these pipes. And everyone's like, that's a big thing, right? So I, I'm, I'm telling the security guards, I said, man, I'm sure I'm hungry. Uh, I would really like to get some fries today. <laughs> the security guard said, oh, hey, aren't you soup? And I was like, yeah. They was like, go ahead. Sign out. You can go. And my what? friends are looking at me, and I just wave goodbye. And from that day forward, I got to leave to go get lunch and come back whenever I wanted, every single day from the 10th grade on. The only 10th grader. <laughs> Any 11th grader allowed to leave my high school. That's pretty fantastic. Yeah, I think about things. I plan things Yeah, out. you do. Mm-hmm. And I told them it was going to work. I, knew, I didn't tell them what I was going to do. I just did it. You get it? So my uh-huh. friends had no clue what, what my plan was. It was worth it. That's 60 bucks or whatever, or 55 bucks. I got to leave campus every day. Only 10th grader. I went to, and I was a 10th grade prince for homecoming, 11th grade prince. I got screwed out of homecoming king, but we'll talk about that later. Okay, uh, I went good. to. <laughs> I went to all three proms in high school. I was a school rep. Mm-hmm. Uh, once again, I... School was where I lived and thrived, you know, so. Yeah, that makes sense then. And then college right after. Yes. Yeah. How was that then? Ooh, boy. Okay. I have pledged to increase the peace. So I am no longer a trash talker, in particular when it comes to a man by the name of Trayvon Robinson, a.k.a. Lex Luthor. Well, then let's turn this off, because that's why I had you on. I came to Chico during the summer, only a few weeks after the L.A. riots, uprisings, what do you want to call them? Oh, right? yeah. And, uh, boy, that was a rough time for me. And when I came to school, let's see. My claim to fame is I got accepted to USC, could not afford to go to USC and would have had to live with my parents had I gone to USC. And I was not a regular admin into USC because my grades weren't that great, but I had all these AP classes. Didn't take any AP exams, but I had all these AP classes. This goes back to that rough childhood. Each of my AP classes had a two hour homework rule. Hmm. And my AP calculus had a three-hour homework rule. (laughs) And so I took, what was it? I took uh, pre-calc and trigonometry when I was in the summer between 10th grade and 11th grade at USC. And our teacher, no, I'm not that smart. It's just, you don't have a choice. They had this stuff set up for us. You know, I'm not like saying, oh, great, I'm not. No, I didn't have a choice. I'm so glad that these counselors or whatever and the teachers were had a plan for me and my group of friends or whatever right so the teacher that we had in high school for that name mr horseman he did the class at usc in the summer and it was like a it was a rough class it was so much homework in any case uh i for that free calculus trick class Something happened. I didn't do the last couple assignments. He told me, and it was a pass or fail, and a, a pass was a B. So if you didn't get a B in the class, you failed, basically, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm borderline in this class. 
I'm having issues with the, with the instructor um, because I can't tell people about my horrible home life. You get it? So when they're on my case about, I, I didn't study. I, I did the assignments. You get mm-hmm. it? I did the work and then I was it. And it's the last couple of weeks or last week. And I don't even think I took the final for the class. My best buddy growing up in junior high and high school, his name is the Wuss, Jesus Gondara. I love him so much. That was his nickname, the Wuss. Mm-hmm. The Wuss, who ended up going to Princeton, that's how smart he is, right? He went and talked to Horseman, our teacher, asked him what I could do on my behalf, what I could do to pass the class. Horseman said I had to do, it was like every single problem that we had in the entire class for the summer. <laughs> over again. And I was like, no, I'm not doing it. I am not doing it, period. So a week goes by, the Woods tells me, hey, let's go um, to, to school, meet up in front of the class, outside the class, and he has done every single problem for me. And Jeez. he said, I made some mistakes like you do. I use <laughs> handwriting like you do. And he says, you need to go turn this into horseman right now. And I was like, oh, my God, man. And, he's just, and he was like, there's no way in the world we're going to continue doing this without you. That was just his thing. And I was so thankful for that, but not really wanting to do it. I went turned everything in. So here is my, my B in the class now, right? So fast forward, we're taking, this is our junior year, we're in calculus. And once again, it is the three-hour homework rule for his class. I don't have three hours every day. Uh, besides the fact that, you know, all the moving around I did and whatever, I still went to work every day, went to school every day, right? Mm-hmm. Once again, sometimes wondering why no one at work noticed I was still wearing the same clothes. <laughs> <laughs> but whatever. Mr. Horseman and I got into a argument one day during class. And he got on my case because he says, I know you're not studying. If you were studying, you would get more of the problems correct. And Mr. Horseman had this thing where he wanted it to be famous one day for teaching all the kids in the hood math. Okay, well. Yeah, literally. He wanted to be the next Jaime Escalante and whatever his name is. And the guy from Stand the Liver, I think it's called. And he actually yeah. brought the guy in our class to talk to us after the movie was done. They were friends. And his whole thing was he was going to be famous for teaching these hood kids math and whatever. And he got on my case <laughs> for not studying. And I couldn't tell him, dude, I don't have time. to. St- I'm barely getting the homework done, you know, and I'm getting a few hours of sleep. Then I'm writing, I'm back here again and I'm back at work. And so he said to me, like, if you don't have time to get your studying done, then you just get out of my class. And I said, okay. And I got up what? and walked out and he didn't think I was going to walk out. That was a dumb move on my part, to be honest. That all relates back to, to college in this magnet program <laughs> the cap your, your counselor we had one counselor for all the students so we were in the high school with everyone else we took PE with everyone else but for the most part we all had our own separate classes wow there's so many great memories here biology I sucked at biology I was like getting a D in biology and it was well known that I was getting a D in biology, right? Mm-hmm. And um, because we're all in the same little tight-knit group and the teachers all talk to each other and blah, blah. So <laughs> my biology teacher, Miss Thurston, wow, 
um, she was like one lady I could not charm. I used to charm everybody, right? Mm-hmm. I could not charm her. She didn't want to hear it. She didn't want to hear my excuses. I, I had no problem with biology except I wasn't interested in it. If I'm not interested in it, I'm not going to study really hard. I'm not going to try. I'm going to just do what I'm going to do and move on. Mm. So <laughs> I was writing a low D, a low D in biology. Lucky for me, Miss Thurston got knocked up by some guy who wasn't her husband and wasn't her boyfriend. <laughs> oh, no, Miss Thurston. And she went on maternity leave. And we got a sub, and it was like God spoke to me, blessed <laughs> me so well. We called him, um, what was it, Mr. Smiley or Mr. Bo- Mr. Bojangles, we called him. So this was a really frail man who was a spitting image for Sammy Davis Jr. Right? Nice, yeah. He had the slick hair, and he was also a pastor. First day he came in, I'm charming him. And they're all, all my my classmates, they know me for years. They know I'm putting the charm on or whatever, right? So I'm traveling the very first day and they're all laughing. And so he's like, uh, you want to help me out? Yeah, I want to help you out. And of course, this is a joke in the class because I'm the worst student in the class. <laughs> and he's asking me to help him out, uh-huh. right? With all the stuff he's doing. So after like a, what be a week or so of me just getting up there, cleaning the board off, passing out papers, whatever else, Mr. Bojangles, we never called that to his face, right? Mr. Bojangles says, I need you to start doing the grade book for me. And what literally what would happen in class was he would spend the entire class period on the class phone calling these different doctors and pharmacies and whatever. And by the second week, he had me running biology class. So the lesson plans were already there from the from the teacher, from Miss Thurston. Uh-huh. I would literally get up in front, and I would read the lesson plan to everybody. I would tell them what we were doing. I literally ran and taught the class, right, while he just sat on the phone. And no one knew this was happening. The teachers and whatever they didn't know this was happening, right? It was miraculous because um, my classmates were noticing, dang, Soup, you're getting better at this. And... It's not that hard when you already have the answer sheet (laughs) (laughs) to all the assignments. (laughs) So my very, very low D slowly creeped up to a respectable B in this class, right? Mm -hmm. And one of my my friends in the class was like, nah. They were like, nah, you got something going on. (laughs) We want in. So I had to start altering the grades oh, for no. a few of my friends as well so that I didn't get turned in, right? Yeah. And I was smart about it. I didn't want to, you know, all of a sudden I have an A in the class. Right. Right. And I took my quizzes, but we're talking about just class assignments. Class assignments, I'm like, screw it, whatever. I got the answers already. <laughs> Quizzes, I still took them. Tests, I still took them. By the time Miss Thurston came back, she was very impressed with my grades in the class. <laughs> Everyone was. <laughs> and of course, without, you know, without Mr. Bojangles there anymore, some of the stuff started sliding back down again. Oh, no. But, but, but I finished with a B in the class. Yeah. Right? Then we turned, turns out that there was an announcement made over the PA. Turns out that he, had, he was HIV positive. 
So oh. all that time that he was on the phone, he was calling around trying to get his insurance company to cover experimental drugs for him. Oh my goodness. So that was the reason for him handing everything over to me and having me do it. And he had passed a few weeks after he had left. So they had made this, you know, announcement for it, whatever. But that's, that's interesting. And if you think about that, right, I fell into that situation. I always seem to find my way into something good or one way, just by being nice to people and whatever else. But this all goes back to me coming to Eagle State, right? Mm-hmm. I am... I am the only recipient, male recipient, of a scholarship from the National Association of Black College Women. How'd you do that? Because (laughs) uh, they had a counseling office, scholarship office, whatever, in my high school. And I so much wanted to go to UC Riverside since I was a kid. Don't really know why. Just wanted to go there. One of the major in psychology at UC Riverside. That was like the big thing for me. I walk in this office. This is not my regular counselor. This lady says, who I don't even think went to college, okay? But she's the counselor for the college office or whatever. And she tells me, oh, with your grades and stuff, you'll never go to uh, UC. She's like, you should fill out these CSU applications instead. And so I was like, okay, that's what I did. Turns out later on when I if you turn everything in, right, my actual real counselor, Dr. Ford, she asked me what happened to my my UC Riverside application, and I told her what happened. And she flipped out. And she stormed downstairs with me, and she chewed this lady out like crazy, telling her, you know, don't ever tell my kids what they can and can't do, and blah, blah, blah. And then she informed this lady that I got it, you know, he got into to, to USC, and blah, blah, blah. So you tell him he couldn't get into UC Riverside or whatever. So that's how, that's part of the way how I ended up coming to Chico, because mm-hmm. I never applied to UC Riverside. National Association of Black College Women. Yeah. They had a scholarship. It was on the wall. Got all the scholarships up there. And you just basically photocopied the info they had, and then you submitted it. So the lady in the counseling office who told me I couldn't get into UC Riverside tells me, you can't apply for that scholarship. It's for women. I love when people tell me I can't do something. <laughs> I was like, okay, whatever. So I'm still photocopying this thing with a couple other ones. And she's uh, like, well, I told you, you can't do it. And I just look at her like I always do and say, okay. Not my head, okay, be polite. You had to write an essay about three women in your life that have inspired you. You had to have your grades. You had to also show other things you've done, community service. I did a lot of community service growing up. Dangerous community service, in fact. Um, so I got two scholarships when I came, when I, when I left high school. So I got one from the city of LA for doing community service, and I got the other one from this organization. I wrote a very good essay and I wrote about my mother, my grandmother, and my aunt, and how neither of them went to college, but how they inspired me in life. But I made sure the entire time I was gender neutral when referring to myself in this essay. <laughs> and so I submitted the essay. A couple of weeks later, I got a phone call. And this lady asked me, she calls and she says, can I speak with Miss Marcel Ford? And I said, speaking. so we had that awkward conversation where she said or i thought you were a girl and i had the conversation with her saying nowhere on your application does it say that i have to be a woman to apply for this scholarship oh it's implied but it wasn't written right so turns out i was one of the eight recipients of the scholarship (laughs) 
and I had to come to an award ceremony. And it was great because uh, it was at this lady's house and she was a big baller house. And there's all these black women with really large hats. It was kind of like one of the Wayans Butters movies or whatever. Oh gosh. <laughs> these big hats, these fancy clothes on. And I get dressed up in my slacks and tie and shirt and I show up and it is none of the women. I'm, there's only two males there, me and the little kid and myself. Nothing else but we're women. And they have us in this back room. And one of the other girls just laid into me. You're the one who stole the scholarship from my friend. She really needed this scholarship and whatever, whatever, whatever. And, uh, and now she can't afford to go to school. And I and I remember just looking at her and I was like, because I thought the girl was cute. I was going to ask her out or something. right? <laughs> Damn. And I, I was like, it's not my fault she didn't have everything that she needed to have in order to get this. Mm-hmm. Like, whatever. So each person who, who each recipient had to go up on stage and it was kind of like the lottery where they give you this big fat check, this fake check thing, right? Mm-hmm. For the scholarship. And they decided to have me go up last. So each girl goes up, gives her speech, they hand her the thing and they're all in a, they're clapping at their tables. Oh my God, you're going to do so great in college. And the lady, the MC says like, and our last recipient, a little special you know, circumstances or whatever else. And I'm just like, oh, man. And so I walk up on stage to no claps. (laughs) (gasps) Oh. And they're all stunned. And I just was, whatever, did my speech. I thanked Mm -hmm. them so much for, you know, the scholarship and how it's going to help me, whatever else. They gave me this big old fat fake check. And it was kind of like the, when it was all over. And then instead of staying for dinner, I decided yeah, it's probably best if I just go home. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so now I'm riding on the bus in South Central with this big fake check that says like $4,000 or whatever. And I got some idiots asking me, is that check real? Wow. <laughs> the hell? Yeah. So anywho, it is a few months after the riots. The airlines were having a price war. I knew that I wanted to go somewhere away from home. Mm-hmm. My mom let me know who was did not want me to go to college, which is weird to say that. Growing up, family members, either, if you're not doing one of the family businesses, the best you could hope for is to get a job at Nick's Check Cashing. It's a chain of check cashes back in the centers. Get a job at Nick's Check Cashing and hopefully one day in, you know, five to ten years become a manager at Nick's Check Cashing. That was not the life for me, right? I found out about summer bridge programs. I don't know if you have that in Arizona or not, but in the CSUs, it's called Summer Bridge. They get these kids who are first-generation college students um, or low-income college students, whatever, or those who have um, borderline grade issues. The program is smaller than it used to be back in the day, but whatever. You go to a college, live in the dorms, take classes. They try to get you acclimated to what college life is going to be like for four weeks. And then if you get to the program, um, great. You just got four or eight units walking in as a freshman. And then you stay with this program and they give you like a grant 
like 500 bucks a, a semester or something like that as well. Mm-hmm. They also help, they kind of control what your classes are like and whatever else. What a problem for me was, besides being low income, I didn't fit into any other categories. I didn't qualify for the Summer Bridge program. Uh, my grades, my SAT score, the AP classes and whatever else, right? I didn't qualify for it. So Chico State had theirs. Humboldt had one starting after Chico State. East Bay, which is now, back then used to be um, Hayward, had one. I had planned my summer to where I was going to go to Chico. When Chico was done, I was going to go to Hayward, get units there, did a program all over again. Um, Humboldt, same thing. Do I was going to do this tour, right? Get all these units that I possibly can. And the program is free. You just have to get yourself there. I first heard about Chico State when I was a senior in high school. They have this thing where they have the former students who are in college come back to the schools and talk to the kids in the magnet program and let you know how it's colleges and whatever. Mm-hmm. And one of my friends, my buddies, her name is Monica, Monty, she shows up to my AP economics class. Now, my AP economics class was interesting. It was the same teacher, Mr. Horseman, and there were 20 kids in the class. And the way he did it was every day you had an exam. And this exam was basically he would give you an article out of the, no, no sorry, the Wall Street Journal. And you, we had to read the Wall Street Journal every day from one end to the other. That was part of the assignments. He would tell you to read a particular article, write an article, write a paper about a particular article, whatever. And then he would grade that every day. Mm. So someone got a 20 and someone got a one. That's how it worked. Every day somebody failed. <laughs> oh. Mr. Horseman was interesting. And his rule was if you got a 20, you could do whatever you want to do that next day in class. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, anything you want to do. You don't have to be in class if you don't want to, right? I had received so many 16s, some fives, a 10 here or there, a 17, a 19, back to a four or five, right? Here it is. I finally got my first 20. And me being me, oh my goodness, because what he does is he, he walks, he hands you your paper back every day. And he starts at the one and he insults the person who got the one. And he says, Mr. Horseman was great. He was like, you're a loser. You'll never become anything in life. You're pathetic. <laughs> Here. And so he's handing these things out and everyone's like, oh my God, don't, don't give it to me next because I want to be the last person to get your paper. That means mm-hmm. you got 20, right? I got my 20 that day. I just let off. I'm like, I got a 20. And I'm just like, I'm dancing and whatever. And the kids are laughing. And, and his rule was, I can, you can do or say whatever you want. So even though he's lecturing, you can continue talking over him. You can throw things at him while he's lecturing or whatever. That was the rule. You got a 20. You're the king of the class that day or whatever, right? So after celebrating a little bit, I sat up, sat back, put my feet on the chair in front of me. And I'm like, screw it. I'm not paying attention at all today. I don't care. I can get a one tomorrow for not paying attention, but I got my 20 finally. That's all Mm -hmm. I care about. Right. And Monica walks into class and she starts telling, she has this blue sweatshirt on. It says Chico on the front of it. And she starts talking about college. And I told Monica, I go, I'm not being rude to you, Monty. I just got my 20. So I'm trying to enjoy my day. He's like, you're ruining my day by me not being able to harass horsemen. So whatever. I told her, I said, 
I will never go to a school called Chico. Who names a school boy, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> and who names a town boy? And she's talking about how Chico was so different than South Central and how you wouldn't believe how it is and whatever. So it turns out when we're looking through the schools, my buddies and I, back then Chico had a ratio of three girls to every one guy. With my logic, I figured for every girl that hooks up with one of those guys, there's two more girls. <laughs> that makes that sense. Available for me to hit on, right? The problem with Chico was that uh, it is uh, too far from the beach. Mm. All my buddies, we were all picking our schools about location toward how far are they from the beach? It's all mm-hmm. we cared about. Second thing was the ratio of guys to girls. The third thing was if it had our major that we wanted. <laughs> Prior schoolers, right? Chico was the highest rated for the ratio of guys to girls. It's far from the beach. Looked it on the map. Knowing where I'm going to go to school there. But I came here to visit or to go to Summer Bridge. First time ever flying on a plane. Got to town. Fell in love with the city before I even saw the campus. On the very, very first day that I was here, I get checked into the dorms. They, they sent two football players to pick me up from the airport because I got a, there a day early. So the third person I met was Mr. Lex Luthor. I'm sorry. Oh, Mr. Oops. Trey Robinson. And he was the resident hall manager and these two students that picked me up took me to my room told me to change clothes we're going to go with weights and as we're walking down the stairs they take me to trey's room i walk in his room the fraternity had just won a step contest or whatever that year so he has this video playing and he's in a room doing drill team that's pretty good that's that's about right so i'm not (laughs) impressed I'm not impressed at all. And they said to me, this is Trey. He's from Compton. And my natural response was to say, so? Mm -hmm. South Central. It's like you, I don't care you're from Compton. And we immediately got into an argument, which almost turned into fisticuff between the two of us. That's how Uh. I met Trey. And he kicked me out of his room, and I told him, you can never kick me out of my room, you little munchkin. Out of your room. <laughs> I, was talking, I was ready to fight. You already started. And that's how I met Trey. Very first time we met, we got into an argument and almost into a fight. Anywho, Summer Bridge wow. was great. There's a funny story about how I got to go to Summer Bridge. That's why I didn't qualify. When I applied for it, they sent me a rejection letter. And so on a rejection letter was a name, Michael Takono. And it has his phone number and whatnot on it. So I let my counselor at the Ford know that I didn't get into the program. And the way it worked is if you get into one summer bridge program, you automatically get into the other ones, right? So, and Chico was the first one. And I really, really wanted to go to Humboldt State. I had to get into Chico so I can go to Humboldt, right? So I called Michael Tacono <laughs> every day for like two or three weeks, no exaggeration. I called him, I called his office, they stopped, they stopped taking my phone calls, he didn't return my phone calls, and then one day, he got on the phone, and he said, stop calling. And I told him, I, I really wanted to go to Summer Bridge, and he said, I didn't qualify, so don't call back. And I was really polite, and I said, thank you, I will call you tomorrow. <sighs> <laughs> Hung up. Next day, I called him again, and he, he, this time, he took the phone call again, and he said, I told you to not call me anymore. And I said, 
I understand that, but I really want to go to Summer Bridge in Chico. Either you're going to let me come or I'm going to call you tomorrow. And he says, don't call me tomorrow. And I said, I'm going to call you tomorrow. <laughs> and he said, he goes, if you promise to never call me again, <laughs> I will let you come to Summer Bridge. <laughs> I said, for real? He was like, yes, just don't ever call me ever again. It's like, all right. So that's how I got to come to Bridge. And then I got, a, got here a day early. And then when I met him the second day, uh, he was not happy to see me. Oh. <laughs> and he told everyone about me. He was like, this is the little pain in my ass. <laughs> it's like, you know, you're supposed to be here. But, you know, you have kids that drop out and don't actually show up. So he said, we'll make room for you. And that's how I got to come to Chico Summer Bridge. Dean? Yeah. I'm sorry to say I have to go. No problem. I do want to continue this and do like a part two. If that's cool with you. Yeah. I Since have we're so just many getting to stories. Summer Bridge. I feel like there's more. And then um, your, your mortal enemy. Yeah, Mr. Also. Lex Luthor. Then, I, I, will, I will finish on this. When it was time for me to pledge, that entire freshman year, I kept telling everyone I was going to pledge. All these guys on Summer Bridge with, we all wanted to pledge. I had no idea that Trey was a rogue. Mm -hmm. I didn't know until we had gone to one of the informationals it was a barbecue, and then there was Trey. Oh. And I literally said something along the lines of, you guys let this guy in? Oh, no. Right. And it turns out, besides that, he was high alpha. And I was openly talking trash to him. <laughs> <laughs> I got a lot of good flesh stories. The last one being prior to going online at a different barbecue, I stood up on a table and told everyone – because uh, we were introducing ourselves. And instead of just introducing myself, I stepped on the table at the barbecue. And I introduced myself as Soup. I'm a future row and blah, blah, blah. Oh, that did not go over very well. Oh, I got booed and told to sit down and they're going to knock me out, whatever else. And me being me, bring it. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> Which one of y'all want some of this? <laughs> oh, damn. So, we definitely have to do this again. All righty. So we can get all those that stories too. Thank you so much, Dean. No worries. I appreciate Thank you for that. having me. Of course. Now I need to go through my childhood and find out which parts you would find fun and then which ones I was horrified. If we do this again, we should definitely talk about how you guys came to be. Yeah, I, I want to because, it, like I said, you, you've had such a huge impact on me and my sands. And even I always found myself referring back to you as, as new brothers would come in. So a little bit of you lived on as the, the chapter grew on. So, no, that, that's definitely going to be a thing. We're going to talk about. Hey, right. I love you, young Mac. I love you, Mac Fountain Mac Fountain Fool. Eat right. rice. Eat rice. Oh, yeah. I just got used. I'm a man now. <laughs> <laughs>